0: There are so many people today who are going through life trying to find fulfillment, but never really finding it. They seek it out in material things, relationships, activities, and many other avenues. But how do we truly find it in this world? Welcome to A Walk in the Word, where we bring you the Sunday sermons from Providence Baptist Church Gaston's worship services. And this week's sermon, Pastor John Friedrich explains that the answer to that question lies in what only the Lord can provide. Let's join in as Pastor Friedrich preaches a message entitled Living the Full Life from Hebrews chapter 10.
1: All right, it's good to be gathered around God's Word with you guys as we take a look at what He has to say to us this morning. So if you would, turn to Hebrews chapter 10. Okay, and we're going to be reading verses 19 through 25. 19 through 25. let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as is, as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more, as you see the day approaching. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this opportunity to gather together around your word, Lord. We thank you for this opportunity to worship you and praise you in song it is always truly a privilege to celebrate you uh, in every way lord you are worthy you are certainly worthy of all of the things that we do for in your name and so much more lord And Lord, we just ask now that as we step into your word, we just ask that you prepare our hearts and minds in such a way that we're receptive to those things that you want us to take away from the message today, Lord. Help us to take it in, let it take root within our hearts, and let us bear fruit in our lives in a way that glorifies you. And Lord, I'm not worthy to be one to stand here today to, to share the word, but I just ask that you take me and use me as you see fit take away anything that could in any way interfere with the message, pride, distraction, selfishness, Lord, whatever it might be, just take it and, and take it away so that I might be filled with your spirit and speak only the words that you've laid upon my heart. And Lord, help us as a church as we continue to move forward. Let us make decisions that are in accordance with your purposes and your will, <clears throat> that we might always be doing the work that you would call us to do. And as individuals, Lord, help us to See the needs around us. Help us to see the opportunities to share your gospel around us, that we might share the good news in this lost and dying world that we live in. And Lord, forgive us of those times that we've sinned against you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> Excuse me. You know, we have seen a lot of things as of late in the news and all around our world today that could, we could find quite uh, discouraging for us as Christians. We. Uh, constantly see things that we feel are setting us back spiritually, setting us back morally. And we see within our country decisions being made that um, are just horrific in in a lot of sense, in a lot of ways. Um, And while some Christians are seeing this as an opportunity, a motivating force to kind of rise up and start making our voices heard more so than ever before, um, the larger group seems to be, appears to me at least, to be getting very discouraged and to kind of discontent with the current state of things. And the discontentment seems to be, for the most part, the norm in in a lot of respects. And all around us is reminders of people telling us uh, that we need to be satisfied with the things of the world and we need to be satisfied with the things as they progress and as they move forward Um, and it pushes us to try to define our happiness our 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 joy based on what the world defines it as because we feel like we're struggling and we're not making headway as far as furthering the kingdom of god so it can really kind of set us back um And there are many Christians walking around today that seem to be kind of just biding their time. They've gotten to a point where they're tired of the fight, they're tired of the struggle, and they just kind of are going through the motions, they're biding their time until the time the Lord calls us home, uh, either through the rapture or the end of their life in this world. And they're kind of just simply maintaining that until the day uh, comes that they no longer have to deal with it. But we need to understand something very, very important as Christians. That's not the kind of life that we are called to live. We are called to live lives that are full. We are called to live lives that are joyful. Quickly, let's take a look at some of the verses that we can see all scattered through Scripture on what the Christian life should be like. Take a look at John 14, 27, where it says, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you, not as the world giveth, give I unto you, Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. So, Jesus is saying, I'm leaving not the peace as world defines it, but peace that only Jesus can give us. So, we see clearly that our lives should be ones of peace, even amongst all the turmoil, all the chaos, all the evil that envelops the world around us. It should be a life of peace. We walk in the peace of our Lord, knowing who ultimately really is in control of all that is going on. And we know that our eternal security rests within Jesus, regardless of what might happen elsewhere and all around us. And knowing that one day, Jesus is going to set all this right. Jesus is going to banish evil forever. Take peace in that. Okay, so let's take a look at 1 Peter 1, 1.8. Whom having not seen ye love in whom, though now ye see him not, yet believing ye, what? Rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. Rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. So we also see we should be living a life of joy unspeakable a joy that kind of transcends and goes beyond the current events of the day, the things that are going on around us. A joy that's not tied to anything going on in this world or the results that occur. And you know what? This is not going to be possible without a close personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Simply calling yourself a Christian and going through the motions is on autopilot is not going to bring you that joy or that peace. Let's also look at 1 John 3, 1. Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. You know, a lot of people when they talk about God's love like to run to John 3.16 right away. And that truly is a great verse. Don't get me wrong. It's an inspiring verse describing the lengths of God's love and how far he would be willing to go. But remember that expression of his love goes far, far deeper than that. And it goes far longer than that singular event in history. Now don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to diminish the work of Jesus by any means. But his love for us, if you can even grasp that concept, or so we can even begin to try to wrap our head around it, even goes beyond the work of the cross. It is through the work that Jesus did at Golgotha that we can enter into a relationship with God and be enveloped in the infinite love of our Creator—a love that knows no bounds, a love that goes beyond anything that you and I can even possibly conceive or uh, perceive so as we can clearly see the Christian life is one where we can enjoy an incredible level of relationship with our God we can find contentment and fulfillment in a world where those things seem to be so elusive so then why do we see so few actually at this level of relationship with the Lord when they have supposedly surrendered their lives to him Well, because they're not pursuing the avenues in which all this becomes a reality. And it's my hope, my prayer today, that all of us, as we unfold this passage, as we peel back the layers of what is being said here, that we can enjoy the fullness of the relationship that the Heavenly Father at the level that it was intended. That we can enjoy the love that God has for us, unconditional and infinite. So let's go ahead and dive into our text today, and take a look at what this is telling us, what Paul is saying here. And the first thing I want to do is to consider the framework and the context of what was, you know, these passages and where they occur. This chapter actually starts out in Hebrews pointing out the insufficiency of the Old Testament sacrifices. It points that starts out saying, you know, the old sacrifices just didn't cut it. They were only a temporary stopgap, a temporary measure that was in place until Jesus came. So he points out the insufficiency there and, it, and follows it up with a glorious description of how Christ provided that final, perfect sacrifice for our sins. And then he leads that into this discussion of the benefits and expectations to experience the fullness of what that sacrifice provides for us. And beginning each with the collective call to attention by using the phrase, let us. That's how he kind of brings it and says, let us, meaning pay attention to this. And the first thing that Paul talks about is to draw close to God. In the first exhortation, he says, let us draw near, which means draw close to God. Let me ask you a question. Do you truly want a closer relationship with God? Now, I don't want you to react to that kind of a knee-jerk Christian expectation type of answer like, of course I want a closer relationship with God. I want you to look at that at a heart level and ask yourself, is this truly your desire? Is this truly your need? <clears throat> is this your yearning to be closer to God every day than you were the day before. I think too many Christians are content with their salvation kind kind of being the, 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 the level of entry being satisfied with that kind of relationship. Okay, I'm saved. That's all I need. Thanks. I got my ticket. But if you're happy to stay at that place in your walk with God, I think you've missed a fundamental piece of why God saved you in the first place. That he might be glorified through a relationship with you. Remember you were eternally separated from him in sin until he made a way to knock down that wall that sin had placed between man and God. And upon doing that, he didn't intend for that just to be the end of it. Say, okay, here's salvation. Grab it if you want. That's not what he ever intended salvation to be. Jesus alluded to this when he was talking about the end times judgment with the phrase, I never knew you for those who didn't have a relationship. This stresses the importance of that relationship. Now this is only possible through the atoning sacrifice that Jesus made but it emphasizes an important fact and that he, God wants a relationship with you, one that constantly grows and, and develops. And not just a superficial one. Not just a, hey, yeah, I'm a Christian, I, I can talk to God. God wants it deep. He wants it personal. He wants it intimate. Listen to some of the descriptions the Bible uses to describe the relationship. The kind of connection that we have with God. Closer than a brother. Sons and daughters. Abiding in Him. Faithful. And to mention, these are just a few. Not to mention his willingness to die for you. Folks, these are not words that describe kind of a superficial, casual friendship, but rather a deep, abiding relationship that should be the desire and goal of every single believer. And the beauty of it is that the author of our text has given us instructions. Isn't that great? He didn't just say, here, do this or have this. You figure out how to get there. Paul gives us guidance on how to make this possible. The first guideline we're given is to come with a true heart. Come with a true heart. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, or what does he mean by that, actually? What exactly does it mean to come with a true heart? Well, the word true in Greek paints a picture of sincerity and genuineness. What that gets at is we are to come to God with no agenda. We are to come to God without Saying, I want something out of this deal. No, we come to God for God. And not for anything else. We do not come to God because we, can think, we think we can earn some increased favor with him. We don't come to him because it increases our status or our ranking, so to speak, within the Christian community. We come to God with a genuine heart, driven by a desire to simply be closer to the one who loves us infinitely, to bask in his presence, and to know him more today than we knew him yesterday. A genuine devotion to him. Listen to the words of Jeremiah regarding God's desire for a connection to his people. And keep in mind, this was even long before Jesus came on the scene physically on earth. Okay, Jeremiah 24-7 says, and I will give them in heart to know me, that I am the Lord. And they shall be my people, and I will be their God. And they shall return unto me with their whole heart. This describes ownership. This describes a tight, close connection. Heart of undivided loyalty and devotion. That's the first piece that they are referring to that takes us to this place. And the second piece tells us to come in full assurance of faith. Now, this reference back to verse 19, where we are told to enter into boldness, into the holiest place. How is it that we can find the ability to boldly come before God? Knowing that we're wretched sinners, knowing that we don't deserve His attention, let alone an audience or fellowship. Through our advocate is how that takes place. Well, who's our advocate? Our high priest who has provided the access to us for which we can approach the Father. This was provided to us. This enables, we were enabled to do this through Jesus Christ. Look at Ephesians three eleven and 12. According to the eternal purposes which he purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence by the faith of him. If you catch that? In order to allow us to enter into a relationship, even into the very presence of God, Jesus has provided a way to do so. Quite appropriately, in the early days of the church, the movement of those following Christ was referred to as the way. The word, interestingly here, translated new, you know, it talks about new in living way. The word translated new also carries the meaning of freshly slain. And by using that word, it emphasizes the reality of Christ's resurrection by describing him both as recently dead and yet presently alive. Another point of note is that we often talk of the veil being torn. And thus there are no longer being any kind of a barrier between us and God. The reality of that is that, that there is only that veil, so to speak, in Christ Jesus himself now. We have got to recognize that he is the only way through him that we have access and present, to the presence of God. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He is the only path. To find God. There are not multiple paths. There are not millions of paths to God. There is but one path to God, and that is through Christ Jesus. Do not be fooled by some of the other faiths out there. And the full confidence in our salvation can be realized when our faith is in the author and finisher of our faith. Rather than being placed in ourself, in act of profession, in our ability to remain faithful to our profession, or any of those other ideas that are floating around out there. In other words, we can now stand before God, certain that our sins are forgiven, and we are right with God by virtue of our faith placed in Christ Jesus, who lives and reigns in full authority today. So we come with a full assurance of faith, as the scriptures say, And the reference to our hearts being sprinkled in this verse alludes to the Old Testament sacrificial system when the blood of the sacrifice was sprinkled on the mercy seat. And it refers to our bodies being washed, which speaks to the complete cleansing that occurs when the forgiveness of sins and the state of our righteousness takes place through Christ Jesus. So we see how we are to confidently and sincerely draw ourselves closer to God, approaching him not in half-hearted weakness, but instead in the power of the living, risen Christ. The second thing that he talks about is to hold on to the hope. Hold on to the hope. Hold on to our faith. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith. What makes this interesting is that the word translated faith here is Peace. Where have we heard that before? That Greek word, elpis, is what we also see translated as hope. In other places in Scripture, it's it's translated as hope. And we've discussed that before. So we know that our faith is inextricably linked to our hope. Our hope comes from our faith in the promises of God. In fact, the verse tells us not to waver in our faith with the reminder that our God is faithful to his promises. This echoes a similar statement earlier in the book of Hebrews, which exhorts us in Hebrews 4.14. It says, Seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. This verse reminds us that we can have that living hope. We can hold fast to our faith because we know it is secure in Christ Jesus, who presently at this very moment is very much alive, And is seated at the right hand of the Father. We have so much to look forward to as Christians. Such incredible blessings in eternity. There's nothing that can derail that too. Nothing. There is no power greater than God himself. And those those promises are secure in God. So many people live on so little in this world, surviving, just putting one foot in front of the other as they go day by day, depending on a hope that is unsubstantiated, grounding in nothing more than emotions that they have. But a believer's hope, the hope that we have is ground in real substance. It reminds us of an earlier verse in Hebrews, 6.19-20, which hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, in which entereth into that within the veil, whether, whither the forerunner is for us entered, even Jesus, made in high priest forever and ever after the order of Melchizedek. Our hope is grounded in the work of Jesus Christ through the life, death, and resurrection and continued intercession on our behalf. That he does. There's a reason it's referred to as an anchor too, when you think about it. When all else around us seems to be pushing us around, trying to get us off our base, to push us off our foundation, that anchor holds us firmly in place. We need also to remember that this hope is described as faithful. Anticipation And faithful anticipation should be character, uh, characterized in every believer's life. When our faith, our hope is anchored in Christ Jesus, there is nothing in this world or the next that can take that away from us. He's already done the work. So the end for those who put their faith in him is sure and is already written down. That's a pretty glorious truth to live by, don't you think? We may not know what will happen to us today. We may not know what will happen to us tomorrow or what's going on in this world. Whether our time is long or short. Whether it's going to be an easy ride or a tough ride. But we know beyond the shadow of a doubt when our time here on earth draws to a close. We enter instantly into the presence of our God, where we will spend an eternity worshiping Him and basking in His glory. And there is nothing, I repeat, nothing that can change that. The third thing that He tells us to do is to consider one another. He says, Consider one another, provoking each other unto love and good works. And notice what comes immediately after this, because that's kind of the key, and I don't want you to miss the importance of this. As a part of this third exhortation, we see that the part of considering one another is what? Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. Don't you think that's an interesting connection there? Consider one another. Provoking each other into love and good works. Encouraging one another. So don't stop assembling. Don't stop meeting as a church. Don't stop coming together in the name of the Lord. Because it's kind of hard to encourage people when you don't ever see them, right? You can't look at a live stream on, uh, on, on, on Facebook or, or listen to a podcast and encourage the other members of your church. We've seen a dreadful trend going on right now, a trend that seems to be accelerating. And that is that there are many who profess their faith, say they have no need to attend a formal church. They have no need to associate themselves with any kind of organized religion, and yet they consider themselves spiritual. Now I'm not saying that there aren't occasions that are legitimate and situations that are perfectly normal for some folks that prevent them from assembling together. There are physical reasons, there are are logistical reasons, there are many reasons. But we know in our hearts if we are using that as an excuse to not assemble together Or that is a blocking point to prevent us from doing what we want to do. So what we see and what we can take away from this then is that there's a huge problem here. In that we see that it's impossible to have any real, true, deep, meaningful relationship with Christ when we make the decision on our own to intentionally disobey the command to assemble. That is going to be a huge hindrance to your relationship with Christ. I know I've, I've heard people say, I don't need to be around other believers to worship God. I can do this by myself. Yeah, you can worship God by yourself. That's absolutely true. They may claim they can listen to sermons online and, and make up any manner of excuses why not to attend, But you know what? That's just hiding the reality of a disobedient heart. Because the Bible was clear in its command to assemble together. As I said, I'm not trying to discount those that have perfectly legitimate reasons. But God knows if that reason is legitimate or if it's just an excuse. And it's not just so we can say, Yeah, I went to church. But it serves a legit a purpose in your relationship with the Lord. It helps fulfill a, 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 a spot in that relationship with God. In the lives of believers and their relationship with the Lord. So our verse calls for us to consider one another and tells us this is a key reason why we assemble. Because and when we come together, it's not just about us, is it? It tells us it's not just for us, but it's for others as well. We It says the assembly is focused on the other people when we come together. To encourage, to uplift. Now I know we hear that word provoke, and we to us it kind of has negative connotations. But the word here translated here, provoke, is... Um, Be translated as incite. Encourage. We are not to incite, but to loving in a negative sense, but to lovingly encourage a person. We're encouraging to what? Love and good works. Somebody has success in something that glorifies God. We don't look at them with jealousy and say, Well boy, everybody's gonna think they're better than I am. No, we encourage that. We encourage anything that glorifies God. We celebrate success in ministry. We celebrate success in seeing souls saved. We celebrate somebody else's uh, being used by God to, to do His work. We encourage each other to do more. This can be the difference between a lukewarm or mediocre church and a great church. We are relational beings. We were created for relationships. And we encourage one another in sincerity and love with the collective goal in mind. And when we do that, incredible things can take place. Lee Iacocca once asked the legendary football coach, Vince Lombardi. Now, you younger folks I know probably don't have any idea who Vince Lombardi was, but he is a legendary football coach. And he was asked by Lee Iacocca, who was the head of a large uh, car manufacturer, what it would make, to make take to make a winning team. The book Iacocca records Lombardi's answer to him. He said, there are a lot of coaches with good football clubs who know the fundamentals and have plenty of discipline but still don't win the game. Then you come to the third ingredient. If you're going to play together as a team, you've got to care for one another. You've got to love each other. Each player has to be thinking of the next guy and saying to himself, if I don't block that man, Paul's going to get his legs broken. I have to do my job well in order that he can do his job. This is the difference between mediocrity and greatness. Lombardi said that night, is the feeling that these guys have for one another. Now while this illustration does not take place in a church, We've got the same human principles in play here. No pun intended, obviously. When we genuinely care for and love one another, not in a superficial sense, but in a very real and evident sense, and that love is used to uplift and encourage each other, then we all benefit. Not just in the performance of our service to God, but it feeds and nourishes our relationship with Him in an individual level as well. And folks, there is no way to accomplish this outside of regular church attendance with our brothers and sisters in Christ. So how do we do this then? Well, all is involved in considering one another and provoking each other to love and good works. There are several aspects of this. And the first of which is to pray individually. Pray individually and specifically for one another. Now understand this might not be something we have the time or occasion to do once while we're gathered together. Okay? But what better time to find out the needs of individuals that you worship with? What better time to find and get a read for what you can pray for them about? The requests that are made known by the individuals are easy enough, but sometimes we need to fellowship. We need to connect. We need to talk to one another so that we know Where somebody may be struggling, where somebody may be hurting, where somebody may be suffering anxiety, something going on in their life, and we once again can't do this if we're not around each other, can we? We're told many times of the importance of praying for one another. But remember in James where we're told to pray for one another because the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man is effective? You know, we can also spur one another on through our example. Someone who is joyful and busy in the Lord's work can be an infectious force <coughs> within the church body. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> now I'm not talking about somebody who... <coughs> Is trying to make themselves an example but rather somebody who's just thrilled to be doing the Lord's work truly joyful in that they can be a part of it happy just to be used of God this can have a tremendous impact on others and then lastly we see we can use our words of encouragement to incite one another to love and good works keep in mind that every bit of this is done with a healthy dose of love It's done in a manner that is to show love to one another. Coupled with this too is the need for us to lift up those who may stumble, who may falter, not point at them and say, boy, look at that guy, he really messed up. No, you lift that person up, you encourage them. We've got to concentrate on the needs of others. God's word calls for us to lead others to expressions of love and service to God. The last thing I'm going to point out real quickly here, and I wish I had more time to go deeper into this, but is I want us to look at a parallel verse in Corinthians to what we've talked about here today. We've spoken about how we come to God in confident faith, that we find joy in our relationship with Him, in our living hope, and that we are to encourage one another in love and, or charity, as the Bible sometimes calls. Remember, the word charity is another word for love. So let's look at this verse, 1 Corinthians 13, 13. And now abideth faith, hope, charity, these three, but the greatest of these is charity. In Paul's letter to the church at Corinth, he's pointing out to them that salvation involves all of these. Faith, hope, and love. And so it's only appropriate that our continued intensification of our relationship with God, our path to a full Christian life, would be a continuation of those very same attributes. So let me ask you today, who have you put your faith in today? And What do you hold your hope for the future? In whom do you find that unwavering, unshakable love that will not fail you under any circumstance? You see, you can find all of those things. In Christ Jesus today, you can live a full life despite what's going on in the world today. You can live a full life regardless of which direction the world might be heading. We can put our faith in the one in which gives us peace, reconciliation with God, and confidence, and hope in the future. Have you put your faith in Jesus Christ in that manner today? or Have you been walking through the Christian life on autopilot? Confident and, and uh, satisfied with just the salvation that Christ has provided you? <clears throat> or are you looking to go deeper? Deeper into that relationship with God? Well, Paul has laid out how we can do that today. But it all begins with starting that relationship through Jesus Christ. The Bible tells us if we'll confess our sins before God and believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins, took the full wrath of God on the cross to pay the full price that we owe because of our sins. Died and rose again three days later, then you too can have that relationship with Jesus Christ. You have then offered your life to Him and said, Jesus, You are what I want to live for. And you now have the method that we need to reach God Himself. Is that who you've chosen today? Let's stand as we go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the time that we've had here today. We thank you for the truth that you have provided us. Lord, we just hope that you will help us, Lord, to have that desire deep in our heart to go deeper in our relationship with you, to always be seeking to draw closer to you than we were, to enjoy the the peace and the love and the, the hope that only you can provide and only you can sustain in a world like this that we live in today. And Lord, help us to continue to look to you for our guidance and our leadership and our decisions, Lord. And that we might always be in the center of your will. That we might always be glorifying you with everything that we say and do. And Lord, we love you and praise you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
0: Thank you for joining us today. Tune in next time for another Walk in God's Word. Podcasts are available in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, and Audible, Spotify, Stitcher, Pocket Cast, TuneIn, CastBox, Downcast, and BeyondPod. Search for and subscribe to Providence Baptist Church space hyphen space Gaston Sermons. Until next time, may God bless you as we await his joyful return.
1: Hi, this is John Friedrich, pastor of Providence Baptist Church. It's my prayer that our time together has helped you grow in your walk with God, or maybe He's even used it to guide you to discover the wonderful gift of salvation. If you're ever in our area, we would love for you to come worship with us. Our address is Providence Baptist Church, 977 Meadowfield Road, Gaston, South Carolina, 29053. If you'd like to contact us, you can do so through our website at www.providencembcgaston.com or email us at ProvidenceNBCGaston at gmail.com. Again, thank you for tuning in, and we look forward to you joining us next time as we take a walk in the Word.